0: made. Converts have a firm foundation, a sure foundation. They really turn from darkness to light. There's not just a halfway, well, maybe somebody might have changed a little bit, but there has been a dramatic change in a person's life. You know, it's not that you added Jesus to your life, but your life was taken over by Jesus. I mean, that's a little different. It's a little different. A convert is one who has changed from darkness to light. We also... Looked at that converts in the New Testament were all to be baptized in water. They were all to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was no, There was no separation. It was taught if you're going to be a convert, then here's the list of things you do. You know what the problem is? In America, we've got the cafeteria approach. You go down the aisle. I have some of this. I have some of this. I don't really like that. I want to pass on that. You know what? That's not being a disciple. That's That's not what God planned. See, God loves you and really has a plan for your life. I know it's a joke we make, but the truth is He does. and includes things like your life is not your own anymore. We get to turn it upside down from darkness to light. And some of the first things on the list are you need to get baptized in water and you need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not as a requirement of salvation, but you need it to help you live your life. All right? And then also, we... Um, we saw that the apostolic perspective means that every convert is expected to become a disciple. Not not just a Christian in name only, but one who takes on and wants to learn a lifestyle of living. I gave the illustration of how many of y'all watch Karate Kid? And the little kid was wax on, waxed off, you know. And he didn't understand why he was being told to do those things. But as a disciple, he was receiving instruction on how to live. Folks, in America, we love to nobody tell us what to do. Isn't that right? Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live. But disciples are the very opposite of that. If disciples come to the Lord Jesus and say, here is my life. Take it over and do with it what you will. So a disciple, you go from being a convert to becoming a disciple, which is a disciplined follower. All disciples are expected to become church members. That means we're plugged in to the local church, the body of Christ. You find where it is that the Lord has assigned you. I don't believe people pick a church. I believe they are assigned to church. And I believe you're assigned by the Lord Jesus. Um, There's been times in my life I was assigned to church. I'm like, God, what am I doing here? But I found out not long after that God had a reason for what he was doing in that. And so it's not only to be assigned to church as far as, well, my name's on the roll. I've been there, done that. No, just adding your name to a membership role is not sufficient because there needs to be an accountability, a nurture relationship going on. When I was a kid, I was in a denominational church, and we... Our church ran by congregational rule. Now, for y'all don't know what that is, it's an ungodly form of government in which the people in the church vote on all kinds of things like who's going to be the pastor, what color is the carpet, or how much money do we spend, or whatever. It's, it's ungodly. And it's a horrible way to get anything done. As a matter of fact, they don't get anything done. In the church I grew up, they spent more time fighting than anything else. Uh, we used to laugh and call it First Church Strife, <laughs> but at any rate, <laughs> at any rate, <laughs> oh gracious! Thank God we're all getting delivered and healed. Isn't that right? But in becoming in becoming members, we are we are people who. Oh wait, I didn't finish my story. Excuse me, back up. What'd you say that for? No, let me back up. We had. In this church, we had occasional business meetings. Now, if you were a member of the church, if you had signed a form at some time, walked down the aisle and shook the preacher's hand, you were the member of the church. You know. Now, we might not see you again for years, but your name was on the roll. There was this one time that we were having a church meeting because we actually had this really godly pastor at the time. And he wanted to do some things like you know minister to prisoners, And some of the old folks, I mean the old school folks, I mean the aged, I mean um, old line in the church, they didn't want him going out there and minister to prisoners. So they decided to throw him out, and they wanted to have a vote. They called people who I had never seen before, but they were on the membership rolls. They showed up, had an ungodly meeting, and they voted that man of God out of the church. I was a I was a young girl at that point. I knew that wasn't right. You know, church membership does not mean that you, you just show up when once in a while there's this business meeting so you can vote with your friends. No. Church membership is about there's a family that we belong to. There are people who know us by name. There are people we actually talk on the phone through the week or we go visit them at their house through the week. I mean, there's people we have interaction with. You know, it's when you walk in the door, somebody says, hey, and calls you by name and knows who you are. That's what church membership is supposed to be, all right? Funny note, um, Doctor, uh, this happened to both Dr. Jim, who is the network head at CI, and it also happened to Bishop Hammond when Dr. Jim used to live in Florida. You know, CI is a nice big church down there, family church. And, um, you know, Bishop was traveling around and he'll preach from time to time, so he's not necessarily there every Sunday, right? You know, he's walked to the door before him and handed a pack. <laughs> so is Dr. Jim. <laughs> Happened to him twice. <laughs> That's pretty funny. You know, I thought, well, those greeters are on the ball. I haven't seen you before. Should have shown him his picture on the back of the thing somewhere. But I always just thought that was so funny. I thought, go greeters, you know, get there, you know, get those Vistras pack out there. But you know, I mean, the truth is that who do you consider to be members, not only people who have signed a membership form somewhere, but people who actually you have interaction with, you know, people that you know. And then we wonder, well, where's so-and-so? We can tell when somebody's not here. Isn't that right? Okay. Not only are we to be converts, disciples, and church members, but we're also to be ministers. Everybody needs to discover what your gift and calling is from the Lord. To be trained and equipped in that, so you can do exactly what God's called you to do. Most of you will be relieved to know God's not called you to pulpit ministry. Um, some may be, but most are just so thankful they're not. You know, but it doesn't matter. You see, because God knows how He's wired you. When I was a kid, I used to get so nervous that God was going to send me to Africa. They have lots of bugs over there. They have lots. Of, they do. <laughs> Creepy things. They have, they have lots of big animals with teeth and, I mean, snakes. I mean, I watched those TV shows and I was just not wanting to go to, you know, Africa where it dangerous. And I used to really stress about that, that if I serve God, He might send me to Africa. One day I got a revelation God knows how I am wired. So I didn't get sent to Africa. I got sent to the Midwest. I got sent to Virginia. I got sent on missions trips to Russia, Argentina, Belgium, but so far, not Africa. (laughs) And not only that, but my heart's changed since then. Now I'm thinking, boy, that sounds pretty good. Africa sounds like a fun place to go. But you see, God knows how that he has wired you. And there are, you know, don't be worried that God is going to require something of you that you're not equipped to do, that you're not made for. And that's why sometimes, as leadership, we will see things in you that you don't see in yourself. And I'll say, oh, I know what you're made for. And anyway, i don't think so, Donna. I don't think so. Oh, okay, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Brenda and I have both done that, haven't we? Yes. Say, yes, you got it. But we want, to fi- we want to help you get involved doing what God's called you to do and to demonstrate servanthood. There needs to be something that you are doing that's a benefit to somebody else. Amen? Okay. Discipleship process is not complete until you are brought to maturity and are equipped to do the work of the ministry. That's why we do so much training around here. We want you to find out what your gifts are, give you some practice arenas, and we want to get you involved in being a productive member of the body of Christ. Also, apostolic evangelism means that churches have visions for more churches, to plant new churches. You know, you, you ha- it's one thing to grow a church, but it's another thing to grow up some leadership that you can send off to plant something else, all right? And in the early church, that's how it was. That's fine to have a church in Jerusalem, but they don't stay in Jerusalem. You've got to send out to the other cities to get the work established there. And then also, apostolic evangelism is all about supernatural transformation. As I talked to you a couple of weeks ago, People who are intellectual Christians, they were one to the Lord through an argument. They haven't really had a heart encounter with the Lord. Those people, they have little desire to know the Lord. They have little desire to interact with Him or to share Him with anybody else because it's a head thing. Then on the other hand, we have some people who have not been spiritually transformed, but they had emotional hype. They got worked up emotionally, and they're not sure they're still saved every six weeks. So they got to go back down and get saved again. You see? I mean, I saw that in Pentecostal churches, you know. When I, the church I was in, we knew who was saved because, you know, we taught salvation every week. But when I was in the, got into Pentecostal circles, I watched people get down, and they keep going down and getting saved again. <laughs> I was like, it didn't take the first time? What? What is that about? But, you know, that was when you go by your emotions, you know, I learned a long time ago, it doesn't matter if I feel saved or not. I hope you all know that's the truth, right? How many of you have just not felt saved on some days? <laughs> Ask your wife, she'll tell you. No, but you still saved some days. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Conversion is meant to be a matter of the heart and the will, not just that we've made a mental ascent to a doctrine. And conversion means it's a call to repentance a change in heart that means a change in conduct so now we're going to look at some apostolic fishing tips I've gotten these from Jim um, Buchan would you open your Bibles please to the book of Acts chapter 1 so the apostolic fishing tips Jesus said he says follow me and I will make you fishers of men and immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Isn't that right? Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He said this to Peter and John who at the time were natural fishermen. They understood there was a skill involved. How many think that there might be a skill involved in being a supernatural spiritual fisherman as well? You know what? We have had training on all kinds of things But a lot of times, Christians have not done anything in the area of evangelism because they've not had any training, they've not had any equipping, not had somebody show us how to do this. And so consequently, we don't like to do things we don't do very well. Isn't that true? How many of you don't like to, there are things that you don't do well, so you don't like to do them. Right. So what we need to do is improve your skill level. Just like we've done with prophetic ministry. We've got some of you guys, we can hardly shut you up now, right? we got you so activated and stirred up. Yeah, you need somebody to prophesy? Sure, I'll do it, I'll do it. You know, when you first walk to the door, you're like, I don't think so. But now you're like, let me get them. You know, especially visitors. Ooh, good. <laughs> Y'all are funny to watch sometimes. Ooh, visitors. I got a word. I got a word. You know why? Because you got activated. Because you got trained. Because some skill was imparted. We well, you know, when Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, he wasn't kidding. What happened to Peter? You know, Jesus did a really good job of equipping Peter to fish for men. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached to 3,000 and they got converted. That's pretty good. Isn't that pretty good? You know, Jesus still wants to teach us to be fishers of men. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Jesus is not wanting us to just remain at home, but to also expand. You see, apostolic has got to do with expansion, not just to stay put, but to go out. And so it's not enough that Peter was made a great fisher of men. You and I need to be great fishers of men, too. And you don't have to be called to pulpit ministry as Peter was, right? Okay, so we're going to look at what are some tips for fishing. What's some things that we need to know about fishing for men? Number one is pray before you preach. Pray before you preach. In Acts 1.14, it says, These were all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. So these guys are up in the upper room, and they have been praying for ten days. Because Jesus has said, you know, wait for, the, wait for the promise of my Father which has come, right? So they're up there. They're waiting. And they are praying. Nobody's preaching. They're praying first. You know what, folks? Sometimes we get a little too anxious. We get all stirred up and maybe feeling guilty. Well, I need to get out there. I need to go go preach to my next-door neighbor. Maybe you need to pray for him first. Maybe you need to spend some time bringing him before the throne. And letting the Holy Spirit work on him first. You know that nobody comes to God except the Holy Spirit draws them, right? And there's such a thing called timing, right? How many of you have ever had somebody try to talk to you about spiritual stuff at the wrong time? What is your reaction? Go away, right? Leave me alone. I don't have time for this, right? They come knocking on your door and wear white shirts, don't they? <laughs> I mean, you know, they've got tremendous zeal. Tremendous zeal. But you know what? I, they, they have never come by at a convenient time for me. Never. And we want to make sure that as we're going, you know, we're expecting the Holy Spirit to go before us and prepare people. All right? So pray before you preach. Number two, all get together so you can get it all together. Get together. In Acts one, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. The King James says they were all in one accord, in one place. This is not just a bunch of people jammed to the same room. It's a heart attitude of unity. They were about the same purpose. They were all waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? Because Jesus had told them to wait. So there was a heart attitude of unity, division, and separateness. Will kill revival and will it is a definite turn off to people looking for spiritual things. You know what? Jesus told in John seventeen twenty one, when Jesus was praying, he said, He prayed that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Unity is a supernatural thing. You know you get two people in a room, you got three opinions, right? So if you get people together in unity, that's something to sit up and watch. And Jesus said, this will cause unbelievers to sit up and take notice when we are in unity. In John seventeen twenty-three, he says, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. The world will know when they observe unity and love inside of God's people. You know, I was talking about when I was a kid, the church I grew up in, we called it the First Church of Strife. And you know what? There was a lot of churches that I saw as a child and, and, you know, teenager growing up. And there was a lot of division. I mean, it was a mess. It was certainly not honoring to the Lord. And the first time I ever got in a healthy church where people actually loved each other and were kind and respectful, I felt like I'd come to heaven, you know? It was like, wow, this is great. I didn't know church could be like this. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? You know, I was, I was talking to a gal uh, a couple years ago, and, uh, and somebody was expressing you know their kind of distrust of the church because they had been burned by leadership or whatever, kind of distrustful. And this woman was like, well, to me, church is safe. Church is family. She had absolutely no concept of anything outside of church being a safe family. Isn't that wonderful? That's exactly what I want here. Safe, healthy, and family. That doesn't mean that we're all perfect. We might have a little, you know, every now and then, but we love each other and we work through stuff, all right? Jesus said in John 13, he said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know what? When you get into a group of people and they love each other, you, can, you really sense the presence of the Lord, don't you? Where, where's your favorite place to go? Is to come to church on Saturday night. It's our favorite place. Because we, get, we get to be with the presence of the Lord. We get to be with people that we love. We, we feel wonderful when we come. I've heard so many of you have said to me, I can't wait till Saturday. I can't wait. You know, isn't it Saturday yet? I know Dennis will send you like that all the time. Can we get to church? Oh, <laughs> oh gracious. Number three, great churches aren't built on anointed preachers alone. You know, that's it. Sometimes we'll talk about, well, I know a great church, you know, Jack Hayford's church or John Jimenez's church or, you know, we'll name this famous preacher that famous preacher. You know, but a great church is much more than whoever the preacher is. I've known some great churches that had not a particularly spectacular preacher, but the church was great. The church was wonderful. You know, in Acts 2, let's look at that. Acts 2, verse 2. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. You know, the Holy Spirit did not just come and land on Peter. The Holy Spirit came and rested on everybody. The fire was not restricted to the preacher and was never intended to be restricted restricted to the preacher. The fire is on the congregation, right? You see, and we we want to see a church where not just your leaders are on fire, but everybody in there is on fire because that's exactly how the Lord has designed it. Amen? Okay, number four, missionaries must learn the language. You got to learn the language. These are fishing tips. If we understand that it's not just get them to church so Donna can preach to them, hey, you guys have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. I've heard some of you talk to people. I mean my goodness, God gives you powerful things to say, right? You've been anointed the same Holy Spirit. There are things God wants to use you to bless folks with. And then in Acts 2 verses 5 to 6, it says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, in this setting, this is obviously a supernatural event, right? You've got people, the Holy Spirit has come, they're speaking in languages that the people are, are hearing, knowing that these people have not studied them. So it is a supernatural act of God. But on the other hand, we can draw an analogy from this. Folks, we need to speak in a language that unbelievers can understand. That means no Christianese. How many of you have ever been somewhere? You go to the Chinese place, you go get your nails done. You go somewhere where you've got some people who are immigrants and they've set up business and they begin to talk to one another about shop talk, you know, stuff. You all heard that? You don't know what they're saying. They could be saying, wow, what a jerk. I mean, you don't know what they're saying, to, right? But they're speaking in a language that you don't understand. And so you can't relate to what they're talking about. You know what Christians do? Well, I've been washed in the blood, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues and fire. Ho! We've got to pull down on the Spirit. we got to get in the Spirit. You know, you go talking like that to your people on your job, they're going to think you're nuts, aren't they? <laughs> yea, verily. <laughs> Folks, there are so many terms that if you've been in church very long, that you've just adopted, yes then, you just adopted, and you go out there, and, and people don't know what you're talking about. Years ago, we had a new gal come to church, and um, she was convert, I mean, straight off the street. She'd never been in church, anything, and so she didn't know the lingo. And so we were in church. It's like a secret club. You know, it's worse than the military, you know. I know we were in the Air Force. I mean, Scott come home. He talked about TVY and, and BAQ. And, B- and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, speak English. But it was like well, she came up to me and she said, y'all use some words I don't understand. I says, okay. Well, write them down for me. And every time you hear something you don't understand. And I'll be happy to take time and explain this to you. Words that we use that people on the street do not use include words like covenant, revival, testament, anointing. Nobody knows what those mean. I mean, I was surprised at covenant. I could understand not knowing the rest of them, but I thought she didn't understand covenant. So I began to really think about the words that I was using. That's when I quit preaching out of King James too. I don't preach out of King James anymore because you don't talk King James except if you prophesy, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll break you of that, too. But how many you know Jesus doesn't speak King James? He speaks American slang, too, right? Because you know what? The Holy Spirit has no problem speaking in your language, mm-hmm. right? So we need to make sure that our words are being comprehended You know, by people out there. I don't mean that you have to get vulgar in your speech or anything. But you know what? It wasn't that long ago that church services were conducted in Latin. Now, that's a religious experience, isn't it? You can't understand a word that's going on, but it's all in some other language, and then you go home. (laughs) Y'all, that doesn't help. (laughs) That just doesn't help. I always just feel like somebody explain it to me. You know, make it real to me. There's even some songs we sing. Jen and I have talked about this. We've had to rewrite words on songs before. I mean, popular songs. We're like, we ain't singing that. (laughs) Change the words. But, you know, sometimes people sing stuff that somebody walks in the door, they can't even make sense of that. These are the days of Elijah. Who's Elijah? (laughs) I mean, you know, obviously, some things people are just going to have to, you know, get adjusted. Send your fire you know people will have to you know gain some kind of understanding but when you're out there talking to somebody that doesn't understand folks think about the words you're using right you know one word that even bugs me is church service one phrase church service why is it a service it's a meeting that's not the vestibule it's the lobby the narthex you know they get these words what is that you don't go to the Holly Inn and, and find a Narthex, right? You don't go to the Come on, y'all. Y'all see these are religious things? Isn't that right, Brother Scott? <laughs> Where else do you go? Y'all give a soapbox. Where else do you go? They call you brother, sister. I used to hate Sister Astern. That was the worst. Sister Donna I can maybe tolerate, but Sister Stern is terrible. And Reverend, Reverend Stern. I'm like, my mama named me Donna. How about that? You know, because that stuff is religious. Now, I'll call my bishop bishop. i got no problem calling him bishop. But my goodness, everybody these days is clamoring for a title. If you're not bishop or pastor, you're deacon, elder, or minister. (laughs) I'm like, how about us normal folks? <laughs> how about us? Bro- oh, sister, brother. You know, my natural brother does not call me sister. <laughs> how many of you got siblings? Do they call you brother or sister? <laughs> they call you Vicky, they call you knucklehead, they call you stuff, right? <laughs> but they don't call you brother or sister. You see what? There is a subculture in the church that when people walk in, they don't get it. They just think you guys are weird and call it the anointing. (laughs) Come on, y'all. Y'all, Jesus was not weird. Jesus was not weird. Kids liked him. I've seen kids back away. from some goings-on in church. It wasn't demons. You know, it was people being fleshly, being weird. Okay. Oh, that was a nice little soapbox. Okay, let's (laughs) flip right along. Number five. I'm glad you're having a good time. Number five. To have amazing results, we must recapture the amazement factor. The early church displayed the power of the Holy Spirit and when that happened they drew the same reactions that Jesus did if you'll look in your Bible there just look at these words in Acts 2.6 the word bewildered in verse 7 amazed and astonished verse 12 amazement and great perplexity verse 43 feeling a sense of awe that's what you want to have Not people saying that was a weird group of people over there. But people who are saying, that was awesome. That was amazing. And then even bewildered. What was that? I don't know, but it was amazing. Those are signs and wonders, right? I wonder what that was. We had wonders happening here. And it's like, well, wonder what that was about? I don't know, but wasn't it amazing? (laughs) It was good, though. I mean, it was obvious because it was God. You know, it was God's presence. People are hungry for God. They don't want to see just a bunch of religious garbage, right? God was to amaze the world through us the same way that the world was amazed through the early church. Yeah. You know what? You are no more. You are no excuse me. You are no less special than the early church members who were working miracles. Mm-hmm. You know. You know what about Philip and these got deacons? I mean, you know, ushers, these kind of guys working miracles, getting translated, all kinds of awesome things like that. You know, I've been saying this for a long time. We're entering into a state where the miraculous of the supernatural is demonstrated by the ordinary people of God. And quit discounting yourself and saying, well, I'm not anybody special. The Holy Spirit lives in the inside of you. That makes you plenty special. Right? It's the early church that was doing the miracles that got these amazing things happen. Sure, Peter, James, and John were kind of going first. But it was certainly not limited to them not limited to them at all, because the same Holy Spirit is inside of you as is inside these guys. Awesome. You see, this is your inheritance. Why should Peter, James, and John have all the fun? Why should Benny Hinn have all the fun? How many of y'all have found out it's more fun to give than to receive? Isn't it fun? Not only is it more fun to give money and gifts, those are loads of fun. But isn't it really fun to pray for somebody and they get healed? Yes. To give them a prophetic word that changes their life. You get so pumped. It's so excited. You don't want to get a prophetic word. You want to give a prophetic word because it's a lot more fun. I mean, who needs television? This is a lot more fun. Amen. That's why you can't miss church. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Especially around here, right? Never know. Point number six. Drunk people make the best preachers. Okay, Acts 2. Look at verse 13. But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only... 9 o'clock in the morning, right? Drunk people, because why do they think they were drunk? Because something had to explain that behavior. They weren't acting like normal people at 9 o'clock in the morning. Come on, y'all been around drunks. Don't look so holy. Some of y'all been drunks. Come on. (laughs) All right, anybody never seen a drunk? Thank you. Okay. All right, maybe a couple of the children—that's okay. But you've seen them drunk, and you've seen people drunk in church, though. Okay. Drunk people, full of joy, boldness, and have no uh, inhibitions. Right? These people were so bold, so joyful, so free that the crowd said they'd got to be drunk. I've seen drunks, and that's what they look like right there. Anybody accuse you of being drunk? Not because you've been drinking, but because you've been so full of joy and boldness and inhibition. Have you ever had such a good time enjoying your salvation? that somebody ask you, what are you on? I have. <laughs> They're like, I want some. <laughs> Let's help them out, folks. Share. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad you're having fun. Okay. Drunk people make the best preachers because they are uninhibited. They are not self-conscious. They are not fearful. And they don't care what you think. Isn't that true? They don't care what you think. Because they're too much under the influence of another spirit. Right? Right? Psalm fifty-one, twelve 12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. You know what? Sinners are not being converted by a bunch of sour-faced, miserable, depressed people. But you throw a party, and people will come. Right? And they like to be around you. Do sinners like you? Do ungodly people like you? I hope so, because they like Jesus. If they don't like you, maybe you're religious. Maybe you're stuck up. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I just, you know what? I just feel like that people absolutely love Jesus. They did not feel condemned by him. I mean, they just, they wanted to be with him. Kids liked him. The kids like you. I always think that's a good sign. The kids like you. But the psalmist said, If you restore to me the joy of my salvation, then I'll teach and sinners will be converted. You know, it's from a point of joy that they're converted. It's from a point of evangelism not being based upon duty, but out of joy, out of being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes, some of us have been in a church environment where... Maybe in your offering envelope every week, you had to check off. Did you read your Bible every day? Did you bring your offering? Did you, you know, tell somebody about Jesus? And you know, there's a lot of guilt that comes with that, you know? And you're like, ooh, ooh, not this week. I'll get it next week. And then you're, it gets down to, you know, the day before church, and you're thinking, oh, man, i got to fill that envelope again. Who's around, you know? And then you start looking for somebody for a notch in your belt guys, nobody wants to feel like a number, right? I don't like to feel like a number, like if I'm being sold. Y'all go into the store and have somebody sell you because they've got a quota to meet. I don't like that. I don't mind somebody really knowing their product and helping me out, but I don't like to feel like a number, you know? And people don't like to feel like that when it comes down to spiritual things as well. So we're not wanting to evangelism evangelize people out of duty or make them feel like, well, I only got two more to get this week. Okay, you're it. You know, We don't want them to feel like that. You know, But it needs to be out of, there is something so wonderful going on in my life. I'm having such a great time. Let me tell you about it. Let me share. All right? not duty. You know, Peter and John said in Acts 4, 20, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We just can't quit talking about it. The other day, um, a couple weeks ago, m- uh, most of you know, uh, we buried my father a couple weeks ago. And the man that was doing the funeral was his best friend They grew up. He told the sweetest story about how that he, the two of them, had met my mother and this other girl, the the brunette and the blonde, uh, down at the lake. And they had flipped the coin to find out who got to ask out whom, you know. And so my dad got my mother, the brunette. And so, and and he says, yeah, I got the blonde. And we don't even know her name, you know. (laughs) He just got the blonde. And so then, he says, over a period of time, he said, He said that my dad fell head over heels in love with my mom. And he said to where it was all he would talk about. He says, every time I saw him, he's talking about me, talking about me. And so finally he's like, Arnold, could you talk about something else? You see, my dad was not under compulsion to talk about the woman who became the love of his life. But he was just so excited, it just couldn't help but come up in conversation. You see, that's it. Let God restore to you the joy of your salvation to where it's a very natural bubbling thing. You can't help but talk about it. All right? Number seven, tips for fishing. Go fishing with some buddies. Peter was not a lone ranger evangelist. You know, almost, you know, going fishing naturally, it seems to me it would be more fun to have somebody there to talk to, to celebrate the victories. You know, look at this one. I got a 10 pound whatever, you know. Have somebody go, yeah, look at that. You know, that could be more fun than just by yourself. The the verse from Acts 2.14, notice it's Peter that took his stand with the 11. He wasn't out there trying to win Jerusalem all by himself. You know what? There's a whole lot of people in the body of Christ in these cities. We just all need to do our part. Right? There's plenty of people out here. And we can work together as a team. When Jesus sent out his disciples, did he send them out one-on-one? No. He sent them out two-by-two. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. To go out in pairs, to even to talk to people in pairs. You know, I find it more interesting if you get in a social situation and you have like one unbeliever starts talking with two believers. It really is a nice situation because you've got the second person can bring in Meantime an additional point that really helps, you know, drive something home. And then you're not feeling there all the pressure of, I have to do all this by myself anyway. All right. So number seven is go fishing with some buddies. Number eight is to realize the good news is for everyone. In Acts 2.17, it says, And I sh- it shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And folks, I think this is really, really important because I think there's a lot of uh, factions in in the American church where people have written off certain classes of people. They've written off certain categories of people And just said, you know, you know, God's angry with you. You're going to hell, and just condemn you, you know, whatever. And it's been really awful. I've just, I don't know if y'all heard. Did y'all hear? You know, remember when the um they had the shooting, the little Amish girls were killed not long ago. You know, there was a church that wanted to protest. You know, the people that were involved. Um, they wanted to protest the um Amish faith. At a funeral. I mean, completely inappropriate. You know, why is somebody doing something like that? There are certain categories of people that sometimes when you listen to Christians talk, they are putting them down and there's no way that's going to win somebody to Jesus. I've heard people, they put down homosexuals, they put down new agers, they put down, you know, Democrats, I don't know, put down whatever and just think that, you well, know, God hates you and God's angry. And you know what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And we're not going to win people by telling them God hates them. And there, and just think about it. I, I was talking to I was talking to a lady yesterday, who said that, you know, there were some friends who are former homosexuals who have been born again, but were not really in church, and they were looking for a church home. And so, as they were, she was um, thinking about bringing them to this one church. And then the pastor got up and made some snide remarks and she thought this is not a safe place to bring someone who's come out of that, you know? And it's like we've got to understand everybody is some kind of sinner. You know? Jesus died for everybody, right? And so that's the whole point. And so it's not to... I mean, there are certain categories of people. There are people, they hate the Muslims. Look, if you've been raised and you've been taught everything the Muslims have been raised and taught, you'd be a mess too. Yeah. There are people who have been fed all, their whole lives on hatred, all right? And as Christians, you know, we've got to be able to come in the opposite spirit. Not to fight fire with fire, right? But to come from a position of grace and mercy. What are you going to do? I was, at a, I was at a meeting a couple years ago with um, a Christian organization and a young man showed up who was Muslim and a guy wanted to wanted to fly into him what happened to that guy his walls went up right because he's not being led by the spirit all it did was reinforce to him that Christians are bigots you know that's all it did was reinforce it you know what Jesus affected so many people because he was not what they expected Because he walked in love and mercy, right? Okay. The good news is for everybody. All genders, all races, all ages, all economic strata, everywhere. You know, the Bible says in Revelation 5.10, it says... Um, excuse me, five nine. It says, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So there's nobody who is exempt from the gospel. The gospel is for every class of people. Amen? Okay, number nine tip is keep it short and simple, unlike this preaching message tonight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Keep it short and simple. Avoid making things complicated. Every now and then you get with somebody who just wants to argue mess with you. They want to argue the book of Revelation. Why? How many of you ever had an unbeliever want to argue with you about who? The Mark of the Beast and the Antichrist and all that stuff. I'm like, you know what? Let's talk about something we can actually do something about. (laughs) Let's talk about something that really relates to right now. I don't get off into fights about the book of Revelation with people. I figure after a while it's all going to work out anyway, right? (laughs) After a while, we'll find out. We'll find out if you're pre-meal, post-meal, A-meal, you know, whatever. <laughs> we'll find out about it later. You know, Jesus is coming. That's enough. Okay. Um, the central message of Jesus' life, death, and resurve- resurrection. The Bible says in Acts 2.21 that everyone who calls for the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right. Number 10, stress personal blame, yet freedom from personal shame. Personal blame. I just really loved it. Peter's so bold. Acts 2.33. He says, you nailed him to a cross. He's just so out there. You did it. This whole crowd, you nailed him to a cross. And Acts 2.36, just in case you didn't get the message, he says, this Jesus who you crucified. I mean, he lays the blame right there on the people. And, you know, there's probably people in that crowd going, I didn't nail him to the cross. I just got into Jerusalem this morning. I didn't have anything to do with it. But you know what the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? Our sins are what have nailed him to the cross. And so it is true that you and I are equally guilty, right? More guilty. Okay. And so when what Peter does is in Acts 2.38, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for forgiveness of sins. So he's given a message of repentance because he is assigning, yes, there's personal blame, but there's not personal shame. Yes, you're guilty, but the good news is there's forgiveness through Jesus Christ and get cleansed and a total release from shame from past sins because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1 says. Number 11, make sure the Savior you preach is alive. (laughs) Make sure the Savior you preach is alive. He's not only crucified, but he is resurrected. A present tense encounter with the resurrected Christ. Present tense. He still heals. He still delivers. He still meets people where they're at. We're not talking Jesus of the history book. Amen. But right now, he heals today. Amen. Number 12, expect changed lives, not empty professions. Peter expected a lot more than a sinner's prayer. He said in Acts 2.40, it says, With many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Not enough to just say the sinner's prayer, but your life is to be transformed and changed. We're not talking about instant sinlessness, but there should be clear signs that a new life has begun. There has been a definite born-again encounter. Amen. All right. And the last point is good Samaritans should take the needy to an inn, Just as when the parable that Jesus taught, he met the wounded man on the road. He met his needs where he was. He tended to his wounds. And then what did he do? He picked him up and he took him on his own donkey and he took him to the inn and he paid somebody to take care of him. He didn't just get him immediately rescued and abandon him. Folks, when we introduce people to Jesus, we direct them to a local church where they can get ministered to. If they don't live in this area, then you find them someplace to go, right? Direct them. Even send them to a website. Send them somewhere that they can go because they don't know and you do, right? Otherwise, they could wind up in a cult. There are some things that look pretty good on the outside, right? Nice building, everything. But needy people, when they have an account with the Lord, they need to be brought into the church because they've got to get healed. They've got to get delivered. They've got to get counseled. They've got to have instruction on how to live. So let's bring them in. Hallelujah. Peter was an outstanding fisher of men. But... As as a fivefold minister, Peter's job was to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The early church did not grow just because Peter was a great, fantastic preacher. Sure, on the day of Pentecost, he preaches in 3,000 and saved. But the Word says that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That doesn't mean that Peter was out there preaching every day. That means he had equipped the church and the people were out there evangelizing. The people were the ones that were bringing the folks in and getting them born again. All right? Last couple of weeks ago, I had... Um, those of you who are here, I had you fill out a little fishing pool card. And so, Dennis, if you'll take these. And if you did not fill out one of these, or if you do not... Um, if you know of somebody else who is not in church that... Um, you need to write their name down. That's what this is about. If you already filled out your three and you haven't met somebody else, that's fine. But if you have not turned in some names of some people that you know that live in the area that are not in church, they want you to write your names on there. And we're going to begin to pray for them first, and then we're going to, and eventually, then we're going to, at the time, right time, invite them to come. But first of all, we want to pray first before we preach to them. Okay. Now, another thing, while you're passing those out, here, Dennis, I'm going to let you work for me again. I've got a bunch of ink pens here. Everybody take at least two. These ink pens have got our name and our website on them. And what I want you to do is take them and leave them places. Okay? When you go sign your credit card receipt at the restaurant, leave it. We got more with a good tip. Thank you. With a good tip. All right? Not a dollar. <laughs> Not a dollar unless you had a cup of coffee, right? Okay. But we got plenty of pins. So what we want you to do is take pens and just leave them. Give them away. Wherever you sign it. Jen said she gave away several this week. No? I took, uh, took some and put them in the cup at work and they all disappeared. The yeah. They're nice little pens. People like them. So just determine you're just going to give them away. It's a nice little marketing tool, okay? It's got our website on there. People can, Most people have computer access. They can get online. They can find out stuff. All right? Now, remember that we are praying for people. Praying for people to be born again. So if you have other names to add, please write them down. And then let's turn them in so I can get them to our intercessors. And we'll be praying for these folks, and you'll be praying for these folks, and God's going to move. God's going to move. You know what? The greatest miracles are done outside the church buildings. They're done in the schools, in the homes, on the streets, on the job. That's where they're going to happen. And it's not going to be Peter, James, and John. It's going to be Bill, Jane, and Sally. (laughs) And I want to remind you that if you did not get a copy of the Prayer for Salvation, an intercessory prayer for salvation, we've got some of those on the book table. It's a great prayer that David Offsbrook's put together. We've seen tremendous results with it. If you want to know how to pray for lost people. Because you know what? I don't want a church to grow just from people who are mad at their last church. <laughs> i like, if you're mad at your last church, go back there and get it right, okay? Okay. All right, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you, Lord God, that you're adjusting our mindsets. Lord God, that you're causing our eyes to be open to the people that you're bringing across our paths, People, Lord God, that you have a heart for. People that your Holy Spirit is working with and dealing with. And Father, we ask you for increased divine encounters. God, some of us don't even know any lost people. So Lord God, I ask you to bring them across our pathways. People that we can just be kind to. People that we can be friendly to. And begin to start to build some relationship there father people that you have already been moving and working upon and we thank you father god that we're expecting to see tremendous works of grace tremendous salvation god we've been listing we've listed some friends and family some co-workers and, Lord God, we're expecting tremendous things. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you draw every one of them, that you bring them to that point of being receptive to the gospel message. I also ask you, Lord God, to give us the anointed words that will break open every hard place, every yoke. Break, Give us words, Lord God, that will be able to really penetrate the hearts and to positively affect people. Father, I also ask, Holy Spirit, that you put a, a lock over our mouths to get rid of the knees that we're not talking in a foreign language to people, but we're talking normal American English to people who understand it. Hallelujah. Set a watch of my mouth, Lord God, to get rid of some of that other stuff. Lord God, make us real people, real people that we're not seen as some kind of a strange subculture, but people who are united, people who love one another, and people who love you, and people who love the lost. Father God, we're excited about what you're doing. Father, for all these people that we have listed, these people we've written down on our cards, in Jesus' name I take authority and I bind every mind-blinding spirit that they've been under influence. Every demonic power that has blinded them, that has hardened their hearts, that is causing them to become offended at the gospel, to cause them to become apathetic to the truth of your word. Father, in Jesus' name, we take authority over it. We break the power off of our friends and family in Jesus' name. We ask, Lord God, that you loose your angels right now to cause divine situations. Lord, those interventions, those things where your, your angels are causing those, what people would call coincidental events, But, Lord, you're just directing people and leading them down a path of righteousness for your name's sake. Father, I praise you and I thank you for the work that you're doing. Help us keep it real. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you hug somebody and let's go home.